welcome to the David McQueen Show, a weekly podcast where through insights and interviews, I explore what good leadership looks like. My main aim is to keep the podcast long enough to cover the subject, but short enough to create interest and without those annoying ads. So sit back and enjoy this episode of the David McQueen Show. I was in year 10 in school and Sarah had been winding me up all day. In the dinner hall, she kept pushing me in the back while I was waiting for my food. She was really, truly winding me up. I felt a pull on my arm and I decided that enough was enough. And I pulled my arm back to challenge her and shouted, stop it. What happened next was that while I turned in slow motion, I looked and I realized that the person was actually pulling me was a dinner lady trying to get my attention. But by that time, it was too late to stop the flow of motion. I had already pushed back trying to get hold of Sarah and I looked and I saw the dinner lady flying back through the dining hall over the table and landing on her bottom. I can't describe the emotions that, well I can, it was shock, there was awe, there was frustration, there was surprise, there were loads of emotions that happened at that point in time but mostly there was fear. Fear of the consequences, what would happen when I had to um, explain to the teachers what just happened and if this got any further, what the hell was my dad going to do? Anyway, I went to go and help her. Uh, She pushed my hand off. She was obviously incredibly upset, uh, wondering why I had done this. Um, I then made my way to one of the teachers to say what I had done. And the next thing I knew, I was outside my headmistress's office and there was a queue of dinner ladies waiting up there, all very angry, people who I'd got on with really well before, but all very angry as to what I had done. I went inside and I sat down, I told my headmistress through blubbering and lots of tears, you know those tears where your whole body just rocks and you're thinking, oh my god, I'm going to be in so much trouble, and snot running down my nose and crying and all the rest of it. Um, I then get to sit in a side room. About an hour and a bit later, my parents are in the school and um, they've obviously had to come from work or wherever it it was to be able to address the situation. And they go through or hear the actual breakdown of the events as described by the dinner lady. And then I describe my events as as I saw it. I explained to them what had happened with Sarah. Um, I'm still a blubbering mess at this point in time and saying I was reacting because she was winding me up. And... uh, uh, trying not to give my parents eye contact. Both my parents from the Caribbean, very strict. You knew what that was means. That would obviously be a, a knock in the head or given 1980s um, UK, that would have been some beatings. So um, the head teacher sits down and she allows us to leave the room. My dad says it's important for them to be able to hear both my side. Um, my head teacher at the time, Mrs. Gilbert, says, David has an exemplary record, but I have no choice Um, I have to suspend him and what actually happens was is I I do get suspended from school for a number of days I'm told it's a cooling off period and it won't be an official suspension and a number of years later I bump into what effectively was my favorite head my favorite head of year his name is Dr Tim O'Brien and we have this fantastic conversation about school. He remembers a lot of the incidents that I remember, and it was really good, because I always remembered him. He was my favorite teacher, uh, brilliant musician, did a couple of assemblies together. He was an amazing footballer, and he was always one of those teachers that, you know, he was quite he was strict, but he was definitely fair. 
And we started to talk about the suspension. And he then retold me his part of the story where there are a number of teachers who wanted to get me kicked out. Uh, uh, there were a number of teachers who felt that I had obviously stepped over a line, even regardless of my past um, record. And he said, as a teacher who knew me and as my head of year, he didn't think that what I'd done was malicious and it was an accident and there should be a cooling down period for everybody. Yes, of course, there would be a suspension, but it didn't have to be official. I sat down listening to the story and I I was incredibly surprised and finding out some probably, what, 30 odd years later that this had happened was both surprising, but also empowering because an adult had stepped in for me and had represented me when in many respects, I was almost voiceless. And I share this story with teachers around the country, around the world. I specifically share this story to say, this is why I think it's incredibly important for teachers to realize the role that they can play in making the difference in the lives of students. Um, I'm still a friend with Mr. O'Brien. In fact, we're sharing a platform together at a conference in October where we were both speaking. So in many ways it's come full circle. But I do that because I think this I share this story because I think the story is so important to understand the power of storytelling. I shared something very similar with you. If you're listening wherever you are, whether you're driving, whether you're sitting down, wherever you are listening to this story, it's very possible that you would have gone back in time with me. You might have imagined me with an Afro baby back in the 80s and and um, in, in my suit and pushing this dinner lady by accident or all the things that, you know, my parents looking at me. You may have pictured that in your mind. And that's the power of storytelling. We can take people on journeys. And I love to encourage leaders to use storytelling as part of their repertoire when they are communicating with individuals. Why? Because so many people, when they're given an option to present, the first thing they do is just think about how well their PowerPoint or keynote or using modern technology, Prezi is when they're going to be able to deliver their presentation. And they're thinking about all the whizzy bang visuals and everything that they want to, to use. And often I say, One of the best ways you can get people to connect is through oral storytelling, being able to take the stories on board. Now, storytelling has been a bit of a trend in business and in other organizations over the last few years. And and, and I want to move away from it just being something trendy uh, and and making sure that it's something that's quite integral uh, to you, whether you're a leader or you are working with leaders to, to ensure that they can use it as part of their presentation arsenal. I just recall recently I was on a trip to Australia and I was working with an institute in Melbourne and it was a room of 120 odd scientists and I was saying to them, you know, um, you know, having stories in your presentation are, are quite in- essential. And I saw a couple rolled eyes and people were like, I don't understand, you know, you're quite a charismatic person, it's all right for you. But I felt that it was important for them to understand that whether you are charismatic or not, it is great to be able to communicate with people using a really strong story or narrative to get your point across because it brings whatever data you have alive. And so in today's podcast, what I want to do or what I really want to focus on is the power of storytelling for leaders. Um, Why is it important? What exactly does it look like and how can you implement it? And um, I'm hoping, again, as again, as I always say, as a result of the data that I share today, that somebody can be empowered 
um, about how they can use that storytelling, whether they come to me and I'm coaching them and their teams or whether they're working with other individuals who do the similar kind of service or even if you want to just go and pick up a book or like a lot of people I know do now, just go online to YouTube and type in storytelling. Whatever route you take, I want to be able to at least encourage you to understand the power of storytelling and why it will be really important for you as a leader to have that as part of your communication arsenal. So let's start with a why. Why is it important to have storytelling? Now, historically, people um, will say that, you know, we grew uh, up with our parents telling us stories, uh, you know, and that was a, a vivid part of, of our upbringing. But I've come to realize that not everybody had that. Uh, again, you can have the the examples of being able to have schools where stories were shared, whether in primary or secondary, whether you're doing it as a, a formal part of English literature or not. But I don't necessarily, again, want to make the assumption about that. We all have different roots as to why or how we've heard stories. Sometimes it might be from childhood. Sometimes it might be when we were a lot older. Um, and they can come across in the form of adverts. They can be uh, films we've watched. They can be books we've read. Whatever it is, we've all been exposed to stories. But why is it important to business or organizations, be they nonprofit or have you, wherever we work, our places of work, why is it important to have a sense or an understanding of the use and control of storytelling in the workplace? So here's why I think it's important for leaders. Firstly, I think it's about relevance. If you are able to explain to individuals about a specific concept or idea or a product or something you want to sell, one of the reasons we get buying is through relevance. If you really want to demonstrate to people uh, why your new product that you're launching as a startup is going to be uh, influential to others, then one of the ways you're going to do that is you've got to actually make it relevant. And storytelling is one of the ways I believe that you can actually make it relevant to the audience you have. The second one is about context. It's very easy, again, to uh, uh, to introduce new technology. It's very, it's very easy to um, introduce a new project or a new idea or, or a new process. But sometimes the context can be missed. And often there is so much uh, focus on the message that we forget the actual medium in which we connect, connect to people by. And context, for me, is where you bring it alive. There are many ways that you can bring any subject. It could be the most boring subject in the world. But if you get a sense of context, you can bring it alive so people can go, ah, I really get it. I understand why. The third one, I, I think, is about assurance. So if you can uh, build in stories to uh, a specific presentation, it can assure people. It gets them to uh, buy into your, your leadership as to why it really does matter, coming back to that point about relevance. And it leads to that next point, which is about trust. If you can share stories about experiences that have happened, or even if you want to build a story about in anticipation of something that might happen in the future, where you want to take people in terms of your strategy or your vision or your ideas, building stories around that builds trust. Because you can take people on a journey and you're asking them to trust you without necessarily saying, oh my God, please trust me, because you're painting a picture through the vehicle of story. And the last one I think about the, the relevance, why it's really important, is it's because about connection. It's the way that we connect with individuals. You think about uh, when we are uh, with our work colleagues and we're outside of work and we may have 
told a fantastic story about our own personal family, or we may have talked about a customer, or we may have spoken about something that happened in the past, or we may have, have, have just happened on a new sales procedure. Being able to t- talk to our colleagues about this, especially through the medium of story, is a way of being able to connect. That's what we do when we are together at work and we're standing around the water cooler, or even if we've gone on a way day, or we're spending some time together at lunch, just you know, shooting the breeze, being able to share stories is a great and deep way of connecting because we make each other laugh, we make each other reflect, we make each other think about not just the work we're doing, but just how it affects people as well. So those five points for me as to the why are relevance, context, assurance, trust, and connection. Those are the five reasons why I think storytelling at work are incredibly important. But what I realize is that a lot of people do get that why piece. Even though I'm repeating it here, so you know it's a, a way of, of, of reconnecting and getting people to understand the reason so we can write it down. The important part for me here is 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 the next bit is what? I know all these stories that I can tell. So 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 and I know it's going to be important. I don't necessarily think of it in a formal way. But let's talk about the what. So I want to leave by uh, uh, giving you a couple of stories. One of them is about founder stories. Think about any organization that you've worked with. If you think about uh, or you visited, think about Walmart or Woolworths or John Lewis Partnership or Adidas or Nike or Coca-Cola or any of those larger companies. Do you know exactly why they started? Do you know why a company, say like BP started? Do you know why a company like Twitter, for example, in, in its current format, which is very different from how it started out, do you know how that actually started? And founder stories are quite powerful because they are a way of being able to embed into organizations the values that the organization started with, the passion that people had as a team to um, to start that actual organization. And in many ways, it gives you a sense as to why this company exists or why this organization exists, be it um, business or nonprofit. Um, and, you know, the being able to realize that the, the, the buzz, because sometimes organizations lose buzz, um, getting that buzz back is um, a, a great way of being able to inspire the team. And founder stories are, are an incredible way to do that. So let's take, for example, one of my um, favorite entrepreneurs at the moment. This guy, his name is Tristan Walker. He is the founder of Walker & Co Company, which is a beauty company or a tech company, as he will define it when he was going for his funding. It's a company that wants to reinvent the way that beauty companies approach the specific cultural needs and cosmetic needs for people of color. Now, if you go and look back at his story, you'll find out that he was born, I can't remember exactly the area, but he was born in um, in New York. Um, and he was brought up in an era where his talent was recognized quite early. He was given a scholarship to go to a really good school. And one of the things he wanted to do was to be able to be wealthy so he didn't have to deal with poverty anymore. But coming out of that, he was able to go and work for some incredible companies like Foursquare and Twitter just at their beginning. Um, and uh, he was also able to do some work and uh, get uh, connected with Andreessen Horowitz, one of the biggest venture capitalists. Um, yeah, one of the big, yeah, one of the biggest venture capitalists in the US. While he was there, what he did is he recognized there was a need to address um, 
shaving issues with men of color. So I can tell you now as a uh, as a as a black man who does shave, even though I have a full beard, moustache and sideburns now, I have got this experience of there's a reluctance around shaving because using a razor because of the way that the my hair texture is and because of the way it grows, it's quite tight and curly. If you shave with the wrong razor, the reality is, is that hair will come back and it will ingrow into your face. This is not peculiar only to black men. But I know it's very endemic within black men who refuse to shave or, or who have real bad issues around shaving. And so rather than using razors, we are left with the familiar um, concept of clippers, um, which are used uh, in many barbers, whether it be the small ones or the bigger ones. Or what we do is we often will use um, what we'll call, may use the right frames, the creams to remove um, hair from our face. The problem with a lot of those creams is they're bleaching and can cause discoloration and other effects. And for many of us, we wanted to have some better alternative. And some of us just gave up in the end, like myself. And we just went and said, right, we're going to grow a beard and moustache because we can't be bothered with the shaving. What Tristan did with his company is he looked at how we could use this technology and look at understanding a, a market which was ignored by the main. But if you think about the amount of black males around the world who probably have this problem, not just in North America, but you can talk about South America and Brazil alone, or even Nigeria, those are huge markets if you were able to tap into and get those products out there. But a lot of investors didn't see that punchline, they didn't understand it, but he pursued with it. And he got buying from a number of celebrities in, in America, and it has become one of the uh, most premium brands for black male hair care. And he's now gone on to produce uh, a series of um, products for women uh, of color, and um, being able to tap into their whole process around washing, conditioning and maintaining their hair. For me, this story is incredible, incredibly powerful because every time he does bring something new, knowing exactly where he has come from, I see this energy and desire for him to take it to the next level. But hearing him and, and for your own, uh, for the, those who are listening, if you go and type in Tristan Walker into YouTube or into any other um, social media platform, you can see videos, you can go and read articles about that founder story. And you realize what really drove him to be able to start and create this um, organization. That story is quite uh, quite powerful. And it is one that I share, or found a story, should I say, is one that I share with a lot of individuals who have gone for investment. So part of my work, I do pitch coaching. I've worked with a number of organizations, as I've mentioned before on another a podcast. And one of the things I try to get from the founders is the passion as to why they actually started their organization. So when they are looking for funding from investors, why is what is it that started it? What what is it that got them? What really intrigued them to get going? Uh, I, I'll give you another quick example. Uh, was Uber? So uh, the when Uber first started, it was it was one New Year's Eve, and and um, one of the founders, a guy called Camp, um, you know the more famous one, but let's focus on the guy whose idea it was. Um, he spent eight hundred dollars hiring uh, a private driver, so that. Um, him and his friend can drive around on New Year's Eve. And ever since then, he was really passionate about being able to reduce the cost of having to get private drivers if they were going out on uh, or special days like New Year's Eve or on a Christmas day. And he realized that rather than going for the whole taxi or private hire of the actual um, black cars on that day, what they could do is probably make it a lot more um, affordable by rethinking how cars were used and making it into car sharing rather than a taxi service, which would reduce all the costs of having to spend that amount of money people have done traditionally. 
whether you like the organization ethically or not, and I know there are going to be some issues around that, that founder story is quite powerful because it came from a point of pain. And you'll then see this is what inspired that individual to be able to go and develop the company that we know now as Uber. So those founder stories are quite important. And again, if you're a really larger organization, it's really good. I really encourage you to go back and look at your organization again, whether it be local government, whether it be a profit, non-profit, whatever it is, go back and look as to why the company actually started. Because when you look at those founder stories, it's a great way of seeing if it aligns with the values that you have and if it aligns with any of the stories and the experiences that you've had at the organization as well. Let me give you a couple of others that you can use. You can share best practice. So in an organization, when you are talking to your colleagues and they may be faced with a specific um, conundrum or they may be thinking about how they are actually going to be shaping their own leadership by being able to share best practice, how you hire, how you retain, how you've worked with customers across different regions. Best practice stories are uh, incredible, an incredible way of being able to get people aligned as to how they can do their job better without having to just talk about it in a technical way. Third one uh, is problem solving, problem solving stories. And again, that comes back, it leans itself back to the, the best practice and the founder stories. I, I gave you the example just now about the, the founder of Uber realizing there was a problem and recognizing that by challenging, he can he can provide a specific solution. Again, we can look at the, the founder stories for Google and see how they developed as an actual organization, but what they were doing was solving a problem. There are many problems, not just in the way that the company has started, but while the company or organization you work for, how it's been developing over the years, that you can think of amazing ways how you were able to solve a problem. And sometimes it might be that you didn't solve the problem. Sometimes it might be that you were able to uh, face up to the fact that you didn't have all the answers, but you got people around you who were able to, to sort them. And that can be the form of a really empowering story to get people to move to the next level. Working with a number of organizations, I've said one of the most powerful things you can have are customer stories. Not, just, not just those testimonials that you would slap on your web or, um, or, or, or on your LinkedIn profile, but hearing how you've actually taken customers through a specific journey and how it's been a way of being able to add value. Not only can you demonstrate it to people who are looking at your organization to think, okay, can I come and do work with them? But it's also a way of empowering individuals internally to say, look, this is the way that we do things. And this is what happens when our customers are really happy with the way that we actually do our work. Then we have things like future stories. Um, if you think about strategy, where you want to go. Um, recently uh, worked with a, a massive retailer going through some um, change in uh, the way that their uh, organization was put together. And what they did is they built a future story about where they wanted to be. What was the vision? How were they going to take people on that place? They started to paint a picture. It wasn't something that had happened yet, but they painted it into the future about where they wanted to go and rallied their staff around that future story as to what the strategy was, where they wanted to go and how they were going to get there. Another story could be around change. If you're making change, sometimes, well, change is always going to be challenging, but sometimes it can be really painful. If it's in a merger or an acquisition or things may have happened outside of your control, being able to use change stories and preferably when they've worked, but even if even if not when they've worked, when you've actually learned something, being able to share a change story can be quite powerful. And the last one I want to share is about success stories. Again, I've mentioned it around um, customers and in best practice, but there may be something that really highlights your success. What are those things that you are really looking for as an organization that make you stand out? You could be working for something like the National Health Service here in the UK and being able to, I don't know, reduce waiting times, being able to have a 
uh, a story that shows how you can help your clients to look after themselves so they don't even have to come to the hospital because they've been it's more preventative medicine that stuff can be really incredibly powerful i don't think for example that's done enough in the healthcare industry where we hear stories of where people have looked after themselves and prevented the illness but those things can be quite powerful success stories are a great great way of being able to uh, market and to sell your ideas to sell your brand to make sure that people know that you are the organization that you want to work with but I also think it's important to recognize that even with these great stories, there may be what we refer to as anti-stories, where you're sharing a story where you want to uplift people, you want to inspire them, you want to come back to those points I said about relevance and about context, and you really want to make them go on that journey. But there can be incredible anti-stories. There's a great book called Putting Stories to Work, which I'm going to link to in the show notes, by a guy called uh, Sean Callahan. Based, he works for a storytelling company in Australia called Anecdote. And in this book, he talks about Steve Jobs and when he was introducing um, Apple iCloud and what they, how they wanted to take it uh, to the next level when they had their worldwide developers conference. And he was saying that, you know, one of the issues that Apple had is that they had tried to develop cloud solutions in the past and it hadn't worked out as well as they wanted to. So in their minds is how can the anti-story that they had is it hadn't worked in the past so how can we trust them to get it right so what steve jobs did is he recognized look there is an anti-story already there people are going to be pushing back against the one we have and he, he actually says so you might be thinking why would you trust them they brought us mobile me it wasn't our finest hour and let me say that but we learned a lot so he actually placed into his story the anti-story or the objection that people would have against his future story. When he told that story, people burst into laughter and they started a, a, in an applauding. And, and what the Sean notes here is that when Steve Jobs introduced the anti-story, what he did is he took away the power and the sting away from it. Took away the, that power and that sting. I think Steve Denning, the the author who who wrote Leading with Powerful Story or the Leaders in Powerful Storytelling. He also says that's a story where you want to quell gossip and rumors. That anti-story where you want to stop all that negative kind of feeling within your organization, but being able to deal with it. But Sean makes a really good important here again. He says the story you tell to beat an anti-story must be true. It mustn't just be spin just because you want to be able to push back against the anti-story. It's got to be accurate or just don't do it at all. And a lot of people don't realize that there is an anti-story. They think just because they come with a really positive one, people aren't going to push back. But I think it's important to be able to know that. Understand that's going to be part of what you have to deal with. So those are the kinds of stories. And there are more. There's a long list. Um, you can go out there and buy business storytelling books. There are loads of different variations of these. But these are the ones I tend to use. I'll go over them again. The founder stories, best practice stories, change stories, problem solving stories, customer stories, future stories like strategy stories, success stories, and being aware of how to deal with anti-stories. So I mentioned this book by Putting Stories to Work by Sean Callahan. And for me, it's one of my favorite books around leadership storytelling. And there are four phases that he talks about um, being able, now that you know the why, why you should do it. Now that you know the what, the different kinds of stories you can use, how do you put it together? And one of the things he had was being able to discover. Yeah, actually, it's a four point process. Discover your stories, remember them, share them and refresh. So discovering what are the stories you've been told? What are your specific stories that you can remember? Remember, they have to be truthful. Or what are the stories you've been told? 
So we know that we may have gone to a conference and somebody may have told you a story or somebody may have told you directly. And what, what are those ones that you may have heard yourself? Or it might just be those ones you've discovered. It may not be from somebody you know. You might have gone online and you might have found an old story. It might be a parable from ancient Greece or ancient India or an African parable, whatever it is. Just recognizing that, you know, you have to be able to go out there and discover those stories and make sure they're right. Secondly, you've got to remember them. Because if you're going to go and share a story with your team, you have to remember what it is and get it as accurate as possible. I've seen individuals get on stage and try to repeat a story and get all the facts wrong and then try to make it out like it's their own story. Don't do that. That doesn't help. Just being able to remember is important. So how do you remember it? Here are a couple of ways that I say I think it's important to have uh, on your machine a file where you can collect those stories. So I use Microsoft OneNote at the moment. I jumped over from Evernote for some reasons I'll go into on another um, podcast. But I have Microsoft OneNote and I have a specific tab where I keep all my stories. So the stories that I will share of my own personal life, observations I will see, stories that I would have picked up at conferences where other people would have shared them. And even if I'm online and I'll see something on social media, a story that has been picked up there, I will store it away so that I can always come back rather than just depending on my memory. And trust me, at 48, my memory isn't as strong as it used to be, but rather just as memory, instead of just focusing on my memory, remembering these stories by writing them down and keeping them so I can come back and look at them. Then the third point is, so we've got discover and we've got remember. The third point is being able to share it. So you can speak it. Sometimes people do it over video. Again, like today, I did it through my podcast, but being able to make sure that you can share those stories um, to the audience um, who want to be able to listen to them. And then the fourth one is refresh it. Sometimes we may have stories that are a bit old and we realize they're not going to be um, relevant anymore. Some won't necessarily need refreshing. For the last 25 years, I've been sharing with students across the country, across the world, uh, one of my stories about confidence, how I learned um, how to swim. I shared it in a previous podcast. There are times where I think, oh my God, should I change the story? But every time I tell it, the students absolutely love it. Uh, and so what I do is I, I share it um, and, you know, I get some really good feedback from it. But there are others where I would refresh and I will park them. There are sometimes there's stories that I've used in the past where I will just leave them where they are. But it is important to be able to go every now and then and refresh to make sure it's relevant using the um, relevant language and the relevant context to your audience. And then the last point that Sean makes is about deliberate practice. It's great to go out on these training courses and read these books and watch these videos. But in order to become a good storyteller, you have to be able to practice. People come to me and they say, Dave, I really love the way you, you know, you really tell stories. And I've said, look, I've been training for 25 years. I've been practicing this for 25 years. So I better be good at it. I've had to be able to go in and learn different ways of being able to, to do it better. So, for example, lots of people will jump on and they tell a story or they'll say, I'm going to tell you a story. For me, that kills me dead in the water. From the time you say that, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to be bored already. And there are different ways of being able to approach it. For example, I will use a date time or or. Or, or, or a timestamp, like for example, I was saying to you at the beginning of this podcast, I was in year 10 in school. That will take you back into the past. Or I will say last week I was somewhere, or in 2011, I'll give it a date or a timestamp. Then I'll bring in characters. Sometimes they may be a protagonist, sometimes they may be an antagonist, but there will always be a little bit of conflict because I want to be able to prove this point to you and then what actually happens as a result of being able to resolve this conflict. Now, some people like to use the hero's journey as the basis of their story, I believe that's only one of many different story um, modes that you can use. And I will kind of like go into that in another um, podcast, I'm sure, at some point in time. But it's important to know that when you are using those stories and when you are 
engaged in deliberate practice, you'll find a better way to be able to frame it so you can take people on that visual journey through your oral storytelling. Last couple points before we finish here. Number one, not all stories are relevant. You might have heard some really brilliant story and it might have it might have worked really well. But put it this way, have you ever remembered a really good joke and when you heard it, you were crying, you were in fits of laughter and whoever was with you, you were crying your eyes out, your stomach started to hurt you. And then you went to tell that story to someone else and they just looked at you and looked through you because they just did not get the context. Same with a good story. Some stories are incredibly good or great, but they may not be appropriate or relevant. So you have to pick and choose your moment. The one thing I will say is always tell the truth. I have um, been in audiences where I've heard people tell stories and I'm like, just nowhere. I don't believe that. And even when I've told my stories and I've told people about what have you, I've had people come to me and they go, is that true? And it is true because I, I don't believe the, if you're going to lie, the amount of effort and energy it takes to lie, you might as well tell the truth. And for me, yes, I believe as in comedy, as in um, presentations, as in sales pitches or whatever it is, whenever we're using stories, there may be a little bit of embellish. I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes we may use some really colorful language to bring the story to life. But as long as we're not telling the, the a lie, keep with the core truth. For example, in the beginning story that I gave you at the beginning of this podcast, I used a student's name as Sarah. That wasn't her name, but I wanted to protect her. It doesn't necessarily mean the story's not true. All it is is I just changed the name because I wanted to protect the actual character themselves. But always tell the truth. Make sure at the core of your story is about telling the truth. And the last one is never use stories to manipulate. I've heard people using stories in sales uh, and in branding to try and manipulate people into buying. I don't believe in that. I believe if you have to manipulate people, you've already lost the war. If it's about relationship building and you really want to be encouraging people. So whenever you tell the stories, don't use it to manipulate. Tell the truth and recognize that all not stories are relevant. So that's it. I recommend a couple of books to you, as I said. Um, the, the the first one that I, uh, comes to mind is Putting Stories to Work by Sean Callahan. Uh, I really love that book. Um, and I, I, I truly, truly recommend it for individuals. There are others out there, and I think I'll probably try and put them in the show notes. But I encourage leaders, wherever you are, to take opportunities to use stories in your presentation because they're a great way of being able to engage your audience, keeping them on board, and um, bringing that data to life. I was mentioning before about, you know, in, when I was talking to those scientists and I said, if you've got this amazing data, and I met this incredible scientist when I was in Melbourne, if you've got all this amazing data, you can bring it to life by using an anecdote, by using a story, by giving examples of how this story, how this data is relevant and how it's touched and affected people's lives. Being able to use um, storytelling at a place of work is an incredible gift. And I really encourage all my leaders to take some time out to all my listeners, should I say, to take some time out to find out how storytelling can actually work for you. Again, I am happy. You can come and I can give you some coaching, if you can afford me, that is. And I'm more than happy to run workshops at organizations where I can teach these principles. But in the meantime, go away and find out exactly how it can benefit you um, in being able to be a better communicator, but also how it can benefit your organization as well. So I thank you for listening to this week's episode. And I hope that these tips and these guides helped someone uh, in leadership to have a real think about how, in, in many ways, being able to use storytelling can help you to be a better leader. And um, I, I want to, I really want to encourage individuals to take a step, take a step out um, and try it with stories. Don't be afraid of making mistakes. Just go and, and work with it. 
And I hope you can tune into next week's episode where I'm going to be talking about culture and why I think a lot of stuff that is said about culture is wrong, but how I think it's incredibly important to understand what your culture is or what it can be within your organization. So thank you very much for listening. And I uh, appreciate all those individuals that do share the content that I put out on the podcast, whether it's directly by email on the different social media uh, platforms. I appreciate both your time to listen and your feedback. And I look forward to having you tune into the next episode of the David McQueen Show. Until then, take care.